Hello and welcome to this episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, about filmmakers by two film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we discuss some of the ideas and themes that it sort of inspires in us. Um, and we kind of bring sort of more of a academic, shall we say, a more theory-based approach to movies rather than just giving them a review. We have two regular segments, one of which we do at the end, which is our further reading, our recommendations based on movie of the week. Uh, but we always start with what else we've been watching. Now, in the last probably year or so, because we've had kids, this has become what else you've been enjoying, because you can't always get some time to watch a movie. So, Sam, what have you been enjoying in the last week? I have actually been to the cinema and seen a film. I'm honestly overjoyed for you. <laughs> um, yes, we we went to visit my mother-in-law and... Um, uh, my wife's cousin came down as well, and we left her daughter and my son with their grandma, and they were incredibly well behaved, and we got to go out, and it was amazing. Um, so, for the first time in, in four and a half months, I've actually been to cinema, um, and we saw Lady Bird, which is, may not have been my first choice going into a cinema, but I really enjoyed it, um, and I was quite happy to, well, happy to see anything at the cinema, um, but I was quite happy to go along when it was mooted, and um, yeah, it was really enjoyable. Uh, Saoirse Ronan's brilliant, because she's a great actress, and Laurie Metcalf's good as well, and it may just be the mental space that I'm in at the moment it seems to be something I say about everything but it was lovely and heartwarming and made me cry um, so yeah it, it was brilliant it's about it's sort of a little bit retro it's set in 2002 and it's about the experience of coming of age as a 17 18 year old in 2002 um, and Saw Ronan's brilliant and there was some great support from people you'd vaguely recognise, um, and yeah, well worth watching, really enjoyable. You're at that phase of, of parenthood, that I, I was where you are, I mean, like, I just want to watch nice things, Yes. I just want to yeah. watch things that are heartwarming and lovely, and, and yeah, I've, I've been there, I get it. Yeah. How about you? I, I, I have not watched a heartwarming film this week, I have watched a dark and depressing and bleak film this week, but equally a beautiful and confusing and confounding film, and that is the, 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 I suppose the film of the moment a little bit, uh, Annihilation from Alex Garland. American release, but released on Netflix around the world, it is Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee starring, and it's about them going into something called The Shimmer which appears to be this alien or unearthly phenomenon occurring and the world that they find inside. It is a similar thing to Garland's other films, things like um, Ex Machina, uh, Sunshine, that sort of stuff, where like, there isn't really a clear answer. There are, isn't, certainly isn't a very clear conclusion to the film. Um, once Sam's just seen it, if, we, if you ever see it, we will happily talk for probably for hours about the uh, what the film means and what all the imaging is. But I really enjoyed it. It just kind of hit me at the right moment, hit me at the right mood, and I thoroughly bought into the world it gave me. And I'm I'm still mulling it over in my mind. What now? Four days later. Good. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's well worth catching up. Brilliant. Um, right. This week's film is the next in our Nicholas Winding Refn series, 
and it is the 2011 film Drive. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place, I give you a five minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down, I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Isn't that dangerous? Drive tells the story of a stunt driver, played by Ryan Gosling, an unnamed character, who moonlights as a criminal's getaway driver. He meets a young mother and gets involved in caring for her and for her son uh, before the boy's father comes out of prison and gets caught up in illegal activity. Because of this investment in the lives of the mother and the son, Ryan Gosling's character gets involved too and there are consequences uh, without going any further and we will we will get into spoilers very quickly but that is pretty much the setup of this film um i kind of know what rob's response is going to be given that he's got a poster of this in the bedroom but uh rob what are your thoughts on watching drive for it's the overrated it's 115th time uh, no i think it's brilliant um honestly it's one of the things I haven't actually seen it loads. I loved when watching it. I think a few times I really love watching it, but I haven't seen it. It isn't like Empire Records or something like Serenity where I've seen it hundreds of times. It isn't in that box. Um, because it isn't It isn't the most enjoyable of watches. And it is quite a bleak, it's quite a violent film um, in its way. But I do think it's also a beautiful film. And I think that... I think that uh, it's... Try I think that the marrying up of actor director and cinematographer here really works we talked about Valhalla Rising previously and Pusher and how sometimes both, all of those films were kind of missing something they didn't really quite have that fit whereas here I feel that everyone's kind of bringing the, the, all the pieces fit together um, I think that Ryan Gosling who otherwise at this point he, he came up through uh, Mickey Mouse Club can be a bit of a, a sort of rom-com pretty boy actor this, he is, he's kind of perfectly cast here as kind of like this smiling psychopath in many ways um and i just really dug it i think that the car chases in it are brilliant um i think it's well the tension the, the, the way it kind of ramps up the stress and the, the anxiety and, and and sort of the the thrill of the film is is, is brilliant but that isn't news i've so talked about this one before i've got it on my wall i've recommended it several times now sam you in the past have gone on record saying that it wasn't a film that you dug particularly um I'm intrigued to know how watching it, A, as part of this, this marathon, but also coming back to it after seeing it previously, how did you find it this time? Well, the thing is, you're right, that in the past I have not really gone on with this film. And the thing that those who know me will know is that I really love learning new things and this is evident from the amount of time I spent in education and the fact that I'm still working in ed education now. Um, however, one of the other things that I just cannot stand is being entirely wrong about something. And this film has now confused me because 
seeing it in the context of our Nick One reference season, it's enabled me to think about it entirely differently and learn new things about what he's doing and see it as part of a greater work and it's brilliant and also I was completely wrong and I don't like that. Tick one for Rob then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really like this. I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to chalk up not liking it before to, well, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't in the mood before. Um, it was, Ryan Gosling is, I mean, he, as you said, his background in Mickey Mouse Club and mates with Justin Timberlake and this is the first time we've really seen him do something completely different. Um, and that that idea, instead of him being sort of a smiling psychopath, is is interesting because the first, I'd say the first 40, 45 minutes of the film, you don't get that. You, you can think, well, he's just a bit dead behind the eyes. He's not a psychopath. Mm. He... Um, like he's had some, I know, maybe he's had some some traumatic experiences, and his his way of dealing with that is shutting off from the world. And you just think, okay, he's just as many young men sort of, maybe he's on on some sort of spectrum, and the way that he interacts with society is different. And then you get that scene with Christine Hendricks, and you think, oh, actually, he's a cold-blooded psychopath. Mm. And it just flips completely, and it's brilliant because you're not expecting that at all. Because you think, I mean, I know if I'm I'm primed to to think well of people like that. I mean, people who have trouble interacting with society. I think anyone is is primed to sympathise with them a little bit. Um, but then suddenly you think, oh, actually, no, I shouldn't have been sympathising with him at all. Because that's the way he acts. Well, it it, it it is strange. I mean, a lot of he is he is nominally the hero of this film, or at least the very much the protagonist. Hero bit is a question to be discussed. But I think it it is interesting that you have this, you know, the the pretty white male straight character who, in any other movie, he is the, the conquering hero. And in this, you are conflicted. You're like, well, I like him, but he's also made some silly mistakes. He also stamped a, mace, a man to death in a in a in a, in a, in a elevator. Mm. You know, like he he does unheroic things, um, and he does them without any kind of seeming remorse. He doesn't seem to have any kind of feelings in him, um, and you start off thinking, say, say, feelings. Maybe he's lonely. Is he? You know, he's just kind of alone and disconnected from the world. And then you're like, maybe, maybe he should be disconnected from the world. Yes. Um, but it also, is it a case of a man adapting to a situation? You know, he starts starts off being, you know, he, the first time you meet him, he is doing the getaway for for a robbery. Like he starts off not being a good person, mm. um, and we we're sort of primed to think, well, he's an antihero. You know, he's you know he's he's baby driver. You know, he's he's that kind of um, yes, yeah. and he's very much not baby driver. Um, no. I think it's Joel better come after, but he is not that kind of character, and I, that's why I like I like, I like that kind of the destruction of this traditional male trope of, of the conquering saviour hero, you know, the, mm. the single mum next door with the um with the ex con husband, you know. Ultimately the ex the, the ex con is a more redemptive figure than than, than the driver. 
Yeah. You know, he, he made a mistake. He seems to genuinely try to make make his life better now he's out of prison. He doesn't seem like a bad person. Yeah, a little bit jealous, but not too much of a bad person. And he gets in over his head and has to needs help to get out. And you see that scene with... Um, they meet Oscar Isaacs and Ryan Gosling meet for the first time in the corridor. And you think, well, if this were in the hands of someone, a, a different director or a different writer, or a different actor, the Oscar Isaacs character would have been straightforwardly jealous ex-con, mm. and you know what's coming to him, because he treats Ryan Gosling horribly, and he doesn't. He's a little bit suspicious of him, like you say, and there's a suggestion that there could be something threatening, but that's just who he is. And then you realise that, actually, he's just a man who loves his family. Yeah. And it's just, like yeah, like you said, like, you end up siding much more with Oscar Isaacs than with Ryan Gosling. But and I think that I mean that's that that's the complication of this. It's like his love interest um, in Kay Magdalene is a complicated love interest. You know, she's she's nominally a single mother, but she isn't really. The husband just isn't around. Hmm. Um, and the film, I, I like the film kind of sets. They have always these idyllic moments of them sitting watching TV together. You know, there's almost you no know, two point four children family uh, image. This it up. But you, if you think about it for a second, you're like, actually, no, that's not true. You know, he's he's smiling, hanging out with, with this this this, this uh, woman and her son. But like, they aren't his. They aren't his family. Mm. They share one kiss at the end, and there's something there. But you know, the one kiss then leads to him killing somebody, and clear revulsion on her face. You know, yeah, and she backs out of the lift and basically backs out of his life. You know, and, and, and he's doing it. these things for her. Like he's trying to get her and her son free. Um, and that is a, a no, noble goal, but you get the feeling that she kind of like he he's giving up everything, including his life and his and giving up them to save them. Mm. Yeah, and you think well, that's kind of what the film is saying at the end. It's he he could never be with her. Mm. He, th- this is not going to end with him getting everything straight and then settling down with Aaron and Billy. So. He knows, and we know, that there is no redemption for him at the end of this. The best that he can hope for is for them to be safe and him to walk away. And I that, that that's something I, I thought was brilliant about the end of the film, that Kerry Mulligan kind of knows that, and yet doesn't really want to know that because she is attracted to him. And that's where you have the sort of going up and knocking on the door at the end. And she knows he's not going to be there. And she's just incredible. It was brilliant. Mm. Well, and this this ties into the through line of, of, of reference films. You've watched it. It's the idea of this kind of destruction of the tropes. You know, you look at Pusher, which neither of us were very keen on, but it did try to work to remove the idea, the glamour of, of a... Of a drug dealer, you know, mm. it, 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 it is a, a rejection of traditional tropes around the crime drama, and then Valhalla Rising of Lee is a rejection of a lot of tropes, um, including any kind of clear ending. And this, once again, seems seems more focused than the previous films, I must say. But he has that idea, like you know, this, all of the pieces here are set up to be, you know, um, sort of one way, and they use like you know, even even the small characters like um, Christina Hendricks, who plays um, their sort of. Blush. Yeah, uh, Blanche. Like she is renowned for being a very attractive lady. You know, she's renowned for being in Mad Men and being a very classy dress. You know, sort of fifties, sixties uh, working woman. In this, she's you know dressed down. She is a femme fatale in a way, 
because obviously she she um betrays them several times and is in on it the way that they aren't but she gets shot like the, the, you think oh she's she's this oh but they kill her as well and like all these traditional tropes you expect from these kind of movies are are there but then subverted almost straight away mm. she's she's an interesting character because like you say she's she's the glamorous actress and you know her from um, Joan in Mad Men and then she was, I mean, I, I had to double check. I knew she was in the film. I knew she was playing this character. And I still had to double check. Because she is so good as, basically, a junkie prostitute. Mm. And she's just completely unrecognisable. And the other thing about her is that she just looks so small. And when she's playing Joan, she's big and blousy and... Um, in control and beautiful and you you get you get to to drive and she's just like this very small character who gets pushed around by people and she's she looks physically emaciated at times yeah she goes from sort of statuesque as she is elsewhere to Mm. to this and and that that I, i find you know interesting um and also i mean the kind of as you talk about you know the subversion of ryan gosling's um uh, sort of previous history, but you've also got the same for um, Brian Cranston, yeah. Um, who who has seen make a career out of of subverting, so going from Malcolm Middle to Breaking Bad to this to Breaking Bad, which I'm not a fan of and I've never really seen much of. But he seems very much to be driven and in control. Um, yes. And you know, for good and bad, he 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 is becomes uh, Walter White and the um, and the sort of the drugs kingpin that he is. Whereas this is more kind of snivelling and small and an idiot yes um and i I enjoyed that kind of sort of subversion of these previous expected roles for for these actors hmm and and even well ron perlman i only really recognize from um seen one of the aliens films uh yeah he's in he's in the the fourth one yeah it just he's that sort of I don't think of him as a leading powerful character. I just think of him as like a a sci-fi sidekick. I might be doing his career immense injustice at this point, but that's who I think of him in film. And then suddenly he's this huge badass bad guy. Mm. And like you said, all all of the characters here are playing against quite in a really interesting way. But I think I think that I mean having to was I never worked on Drive. Um, I feel that is what he's shooting for. He's looking for that subversion. He's looking for that that way to kind of take what we know and change it. And I think with this one, he certainly hit on a um, a crew and, and, a, and a story that that also are beautiful I, and mm. also I mean I think you know, we, we talk a lot about the story here, but the, the opening I mean even could call it a car chases to overset it. But the opening scene in which they escape from the cops um, after the first robbery, it's not a bombastic chase in the same way that the baby driver is. Mm. But it's so tense. There's so many scenes of sitting and waiting. And you have that, you know, it, it often plays for laughs in other films. Film, if you think about a good example, it's like The Man from Uncle a couple of years ago. And there's a, a very funny scene in which a big fight, fight scene is going on. And then we just cut to the third person who's just recovering in the corner having a cup of tea. And we don't see the fight, and the same's here. Like we, we don't see the robberies, any of the robberies. All we see is the, um, the uh, sort of the him sitting waiting. 
Yeah, you just, you often just see that slice that you see in the mirror. You see his eyes. That's mm. all. You don't get the Robbie at all. And I think, I think it's the tension, but in that first scene where you just like, you really feel like this is, might be how it is. The, the, the real tension, like they're just sitting there waiting. And, you know, the, the, the robbers aren't kicking off. They aren't, you know, no one's causing a scene. It's just a case of we just sit and we wait and we have the police move on. And then we go and do this and do that. And it's, it's kind of a real cat and mouse rather than being sort of the more traditional Hollywood, you know, driving down the things blowing up. No one, no one gets hurt. No, one, no cars explode. Um, there's literally one car crash in the entire movie. Um, the problem when we, he kills Ron Perman. It's just like you. It really kind of subverts that whole traditional idea of a Hollywood action film. It's literally set in LA. It's literally set in LA, but we, we, we you know, we haven't got Hollywood um, sort of ha- in, in inverted commas action scenes. And yet, one of the brilliant ironies of this film is that he's a Hollywood stunt driver. Mm. You see him in the first, well, not the first sequence, but after that, you see him at work. You see him enacting a car chase and that's the sort of thing that you don't get in the film you don't get running away from the police and spinning cars and explosions and yet that is the world that he lives in it's almost set up as like as as this juxtaposition of him Mm. him his job is as notably as a cop flipping a car and then you know he does that in his job and then juxtaposed with previous scene when he's when he's actually running from real cops, no cars are flipped. Hmm. Yeah, it's... And I think, well, that's what this whole film is doing. This whole film, I mean, which is incredibly tense. There's tension running through. this tension underlined by the music in, in the background in those scenes where they're waiting for something. But what we... What... Refn is one Refn is playing with is this idea that we're expecting we as an audience we're waiting for the big car chase we're waiting for the big Hollywood set piece because that's what we've been given right mm. at the start and it never comes. Yeah, the the the, the, the day you this film the big sort of climax of this film is two guys with a knife each in a car park, and you don't see it. No, you see the shadows. You don't even see them actually stabbing each other. Mm. I, I mean, and even the violence which which killed Brian Cranston's character is it's it's small violence and mm. real, and and in many ways that makes it more kind of not horrific but impactful because it is small and it is quiet and it feels you know real. This this it's a bit of a bear with me here that my wife and I like horror films and she gets far more scared by. Ghosts and ghouls and demons and possession kind of movies than I do. Mm. I get far more scared by slasher films um, and that kind of thing than she does. Her argument being, well, with, with a slasher, you can kill them. You know, you may have to deal with those. A ghost, you can't kill a ghost. Mm. My argument being, well, true, but ghosts aren't real. <laughs> yes. Whereas people are. And for me, maybe this is why this film impacts on me in a way, because that's what gets to me. It's like, like I can watch them and go, actually, yeah, that might happen to you. You know, yeah, one sharp knife in my forearm, and I'm dead. Yeah, like that, gone. That's more scary than oh no, Bob's been possessed by the dark demon. Like that's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that to me, like, why Smith feels impactful. You know, even probably the most gruesome death in the film is that of Christine Hendricks. 
Mm. Um, and even that's so fast and you know it's 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 brutal but it's not like you know luxuriated over in you know slow motion you know kind of Zack Snyder-esque sort of violence Mm. and you think I mean I I know well thankfully we don't have pump action shotguns in this country but it could still happen something like that in Mm. in a society with guns in a society that is is sort of set up to um, enable that sort of violence. A, a death like Christina Hendricks, as horrible as it is, could conceivably happen. It's not like she's been possessed by the devil or she's been picked up by a giant monster and thrown over a building. It's just it's something terrible, terrible, but also terribly ordinary. Mm. It, it it has that kind of. I don't know. It, it, it's that sweet spot of this film being sort of weird and ethically beautiful. And, and I, we didn't have much time to talk about it particularly, but for me, it really felt like the locations were as much a character as anyone else in this. You know, so many of the shots are are framed with buildings behind them or in silhouette, and like if you feel this is a real textured place, mm. but that, that that texture and that reality gives it gives it impact. I think. Mm. So, Rob, do you have any recommendations then, based on any of the actors or anything thematically we talked about? I have got a couple that I'll go with through. So, my first one is not really thematic, maybe maybe visual. Let's go with that, um, and that's a film that I love, and I don't think is much talked about these days um, until people are like, oh yeah, that is good, um, and that's 1998's film Ronin, director John Frankenheimer. Starring De Niro, Jean Reno, uh, Natasha Mahoney, uh, Sean Bean. It's it's kind of a very good, very good sort of mid nineties cast, and it's essentially about a CIA operative operating in Paris. The reason why I bring it up here is that the the car chases are epic. They are they are they are more Hollywoodized and more kind of Americanized than certainly the ones in Drive, but they still have a because they're shot in Paris. They don't have that same kind of flashy American sheen to them. They are in run down American uh, run down French cars banging their way through the streets. It has that same kind of feeling of reality. The film it doesn't stray too far into sort of militaristic you know power fantasies. It's still quite gritty, especially with its car chases. So. I think it's really good. It, it, it is it is well known and well liked, but it is one that I think is often forgotten. So that's my 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 sort of car chase recommendation following the movie. My other one is I'm going to recommend. It's quite a left field choice um, compared to this film, and that is nineteen 2011's film Crazy Stupid Love. This is a rom com. This is a a, a rom com drama starring. Steve Carell, Julianne Moore, Emma Stone, but most notably Ryan Gosling. Uh, this is much more in his traditional wheelhouse, much more in his I'm a good-looking man sleeping with good-looking girls kind of movie. But the film is interesting enough and smart enough to do things with it. And I think Gosling is a charismatic enough presence to stand up against it. It certainly isn't the notebook and the saccharine sort of noise that, that film is. But this has some edge to it, has some thoughts to say, some things, and some more interesting character beats than the traditional rom-com. It's not for everybody. Um, it certainly is a, a rom-com. So take that with a pinch of salt. But I really enjoyed it. And I think it kind of... It's one of those ones that shows... Not shows, cause I think, I mean, but it, it kind of opens it up to a wider audience and it shows what the rom-com genre could be. Um, or the rom-drama could be, if you were. 
What about you, Sam? Right then, I have two recommendations, and they're both based on actors in this film. Um, the first of these is um, taking the character of um, Irene, played by Carey Mulligan, and it's 2009 film, and I think the first first big film that she was in, An Education, directed by Lona Scherfig, and she did um, one of my favourite films of last year. She also directed um, Their Finest, and based on a memoir written by Lynn Barber, this is a Doctor True Story. Kerry Mulligan plays a t- young girl who goes through a process of education, in inverted commas, and Kerry Mulligan's very good, and um, it's also the um, next outing for Dominic Cooper after he was in the History Boys, um, and I I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I'd I'd read the Barber beforehand and even taught sections of Barber's memoir. It's really interesting to see the way that that was portrayed on screen. My second recommendation actually coincidentally also has Kerry Mulligan in it, but that's not why I've picked it. Um, it's 2013's film Inside Lewin Davis, starring standard Gabrielle in this film, Oscar Isaacs, um, and also, as I said, Kerry Mulligan. Um, it's a Coen Brothers film, and um, <laughs> I took my wife to see it, and she... Um, didn't really know anything about Coen Brothers films, so was a bit surprised that this was the sort of film it was with the sort of ending it didn't really have, and she felt a bit cheated by that. But if you, if you know Coen Brothers films, then you know about the fact that there may not really be a resolution, and you're not really sure where the narrative goes, and it's just a bit meandering, and it's an exploration of the folk scene in the 60s in the States and I, I really quite enjoyed it. So those are my two this week, An Education and Inside Lewin Davis. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I've seen in- in Education but I haven't seen Llewellyn Davis so I shall try and stick it on my ever list of watches. Right, good. So next week guys we are going to wrap up our Nicholas Winding Refn month and we're going to be looking at his his latest movie from two years ago the Neon Demon. Um, it can be found, I believe, on Amazon if you want to watch it there. Um, till then, guys, you can come find us both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And just a quick thank you to those of you who have left us recommendations or reviews on iTunes. So you've been saying some lovely things about us. And we certainly appreciate all of those nice things you say. Uh, so please, if you haven't, please give us, give us a review. We do appreciate them, good and bad. We'd like to hear what you think of the show in every sense. Um, until then, we shall see you next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.